It'll go to a little island called Cyprus, about 75 miles off the coast of Syria. And uh, modern-day Syria, we know, we've seen lots of pictures from over there. But, you know, God is on the move. I just want to kind of build in you a little bit of excitement because he's always on the move. He's not a passive God. He's never... um, He's always leaving and searching and get, gathering and seeking to save the lost. That's who God is. That's what he does. And the book of Acts really is a storybook um, to, that formed the words, the Father has sent me and so I send you. That's what the book of Acts says. It says that in full. I noticed y'all looking at that. Everybody's looking up there. That's modern day Cyprus. I grabbed that picture. That's what it looks like over there. Looks like a nice place to be. Um, Anyway, the book of Acts is a description of the paths of the gospel. And we're going to see that happen. You see, it was written, I think, to keep the churches from falling into a maintenance mode. You know, because when, when we look at who God is and what he's done in this book, we see that God is not a passive God. He's never coasting, he's never aloof, he's never passive, he's, never, he's always moving out and taking the gospel out to new places, new people groups for his glory. That's who he is. And so he's reaching new people. Remember we talked about the goad and how Jesus said to Paul, the apostle who was Saul at the time, Saul, Saul, why, why are you kicking against the goad? Remember when Jesus was goading the Saul to, to, to come to him by faith and trust in him, and so That's what this book does. It goads the church. Church is like Tradewinds Church. It goads us into moving out and into new places, new areas, new ways that we would reach the people with the gospel. So I'm not sure if everybody understands or knows this, that we've got a vision team that meets almost weekly, and we're meeting for this very reason, because we are seeking the Holy Spirit's guidance on what God would have us do in this church at this time. At this moment, we need to know that at this time, we, we never want to stagnate as a church. We never want to just stop. We don't want to rest on what was done last year or five years ago, right? I mean, Christian, do you ever want to look back at your life and say, you know, thank you, Lord, for the last recognizable miracle that you did in my life back in 1957, no, no, you, you just don't want to have to look that far back. You want to look to yesterday or like this morning and say, Lord, look at the miracle you're doing in my life. Look at what you're doing. Look what you're up to. Look at what you did last week. That's what we want. We want to see what God is doing now. And you don't want to wait years, look back years and say, oh, yeah, that was the clear move of God back there. No, we want it now. We want to see the clear movement of Jesus right now in our lives. And so let me tell you about some things that I'm just so thankful for, um, for what God is doing in our midst. And, you know, we've got a great youth guy here in, in, in Ryan. He teaches the word of God. Let me tell you, he gives it to them. He gives them the gospel hard. I mean, right between the eyes, some of them are going, yawn. But, you know, because not everybody's ready for it, but he gives it to them. And some of them are getting it and taking it and running with it. And it's wonderful to see. Um, They went out and put door hangers out. 
to the glory of God. They said, hey, if one person responds to the gospel, we're going to put these door hangers out. And suddenly fruit shows up, all right? So they are doing great things. We have great lifeboats. You know, we have some amazing lifeboats. We have a lifeboat for men, for women, for moms. We have three regular lifeboats, kind of mixed lifeboats, you know. We have a pre-marriage lifeboat. Now, when I say lifeboat, some of you may not know what I'm talking about because you're not in one, but it's, it's a small group, Bible study in a home. We have a pre-married lifeboat where if you re- we have 14 people in that. They're coming together to learn how to do relationships and, ha- and have a good start at marriage. And you know what? Only two of them are engaged out of the 14. The rest of them, some of them are college students. They just want to they just want to do it right. Okay? And they want to know what it means to be in a relationship and, and start off right. You know, we have a worship team that's growing. Have you noticed the new names and faces and people up here, voices, right? Awesome job. We have a guy back here behind the board named Alex. Have they, have you met him yet? He is doing a fantastic job, right? I mean, the sounds coming together, the music's coming together. It's it's been fantastic worship. I mean, you know, we, our outreach has grown, that we have, uh, we are affiliated with an on-campus group called University uh, um, Christian Fellowship, and we, we meet weekly with them, and it's college students just getting together to study the Bible. We're on campus helping out with the food pantry on campus. We uh, go over to Azalea Elementary School with something called the Good News Club, and we just share the gospel with elementary school kids, Right? I mean, it's, it's wonderful. Some of our own kids here are a part of that. Um, we're supporting a church nearby called New Hope Church, it's, and they have a ministry to the homeless. We want to get involved with, with the homeless. So we've enjoyed that. That's, we've been flourishing in that with them. We love that. Um, do you know we have a team of people that are going to a conference this week called Exponential? And, and the conference is, is all about how to help a church grow, how to, how to see God's purposes and plans for your church and make it grow. We're taking a whole team of 10 people to that, and we're going to see that attendance is up, our expectations are high, and that faith in what God is doing is off the charts here. And so we're, these are just a few of the reasons why we're just very excited to celebrate what God is doing in, in our midst. And so these are some of the paths that the Lord has had us on with the gospel. And you know what? I, I want to say this. Do you know these paths that we've been on are paths that God created back when this book of Acts was in motion. Okay, so we're going to see the reason we are here, the reason we're doing the things we're doing, the reason we're moving out like we are in, in ways, new ways, is because we're taking this book serious, and we see what this book has been teaching us. And so it started here, and it's moved to here. Okay, and we're an extension of this first century book. I just want to want to connect you to it. This matters to us. What's said in this book matters to us today for that reason and that reason really alone, because we want to get on board with what Christ was doing there so that we can know what he's doing here. And so we want to align with the Holy Spirit. And so today is another advance of the gospel and and the. You remember last week we, we talked about opposing God always fails? And, and you remember that story because it's, it's clear. I mean, it's, and, it's, and it's, it drops with a heavy, heavy fist because God took out Herod 
in a, in a clear and concise way. Well, today's unmistakable message is this, that the straight paths of the gospel cannot be thwarted by opposition. It's a very similar story in that the straight paths of the gospel cannot be thwarted by opposition. And you'll see where that comes in. So I've got three points. What are the paths? That's my first point. You know, I, I want to see, I want us to see how the path of the gospel has been moving, right? Out from Jerusalem, we saw it started there. It started on the Pentecost. They, they, the Lord came and it moved out from Jerusalem. Why did it move out from Jerusalem? Because Stephen was martyred, right? And it shook the church and scattered them. And so Philip went to Samaria and began to preach there, which is a little bit outside of um, Jerusalem. And then he went down a lone road to meet this Ethiopian eunuch. And then we saw Saul, who became Apostle Paul, was apprehended on the road to Damascus. Okay? And you can see, I think the, it's on the map there. You see, you see where Jerusalem is down at the bottom, and you see where Damascus is. So the, the gospel has reached there, okay, at this point, where, where Saul is now apprehended. And we see then, after that, Cornelius... Uh, is, is approached by the angel of the Lord. Go get Peter. He'll tell you the gospel. Peter goes and preaches to Cornelius, and he's right along the coast there, just a little bit south of Damascus, where it says uh, Haifa. I don't know what that is, but that's a that's a Google map. I just threw it up there. Um, uh, but they don't have uh, Caesarea in there, um, uh, at least on the Google map. But uh, you see... Cornelius was the evidence that the church needed that God was going to save Gentiles too. You see, because after that, they had a court meeting. All the Christians got, all the believers got together and they said, then to the Gentiles, this was their summary, to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And so we're here as Gentiles. And we saw last week how the, uh, the official Herod began to persecute the church. And we saw how that went for him, right? He began to oppose God. It didn't go well for him, right? He arrests James and then kills him. Then he arrests Peter and says, hey, Jews were happy about James being killed, so I'm going to take out Peter. Puts him in jail. God says, no. He springs him from the jail. An angel comes in, walks him out, and then goes and kills Herod, right? It says that he was eaten with worms, and then he died. Sounds like a terrible death, okay? But this was the Lord's way with Herod. And then the very next verse says, but the word of the Lord, the word of God increased and multiplied. So, so in other words, the, the word is going forth. The word is going to go out. The paths of the gospel are going forth. They're not going to stop. You're not going to stop what God wants to do with the gospel in, in having it go out. This is what we've seen. And it's the pattern we're going to see all throughout Acts. It's just going to be there. And so, do you see that you're a part of the path? You're on that path. And so, you're the result of, of some of these things that have happened in this book. And it should make us feel like we're a part of a bigger thing. You know, just on a side note, there's something that some of you probably don't know. And that a number of years ago, about 100, a little over 100 years ago, Someone in our denomination heard from God. God said, go to Pakistan and preach the gospel. And so they did. And they ended up 
seeing 180,000 Pakistanis are in our denominations. Associate Reformed Presbyterians have 180,000 members in Pakistan. They built schools, they built hospitals, they built churches. That's because someone heard the Lord and went. And we're going to see here that the Holy Spirit is still forging those messages and forging forward and bringing the gospel. And so that brings us to the second point, and that is who sets the paths. I mean, I guess if you haven't guessed it, it's God. I mean, it's just, it's kind of obvious, right? It, the, it's the Holy Spirit that said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, right? That's what the Holy Spirit said. Look at what in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You know, you know this is what we're all called to. We're to be worshiping. We're to be fasting, we're to be praying, we're to be seeking the Lord. That's what we're called to do. And when we do that as God's people, you know what happens? Sometimes we get sent out. Sounds radical, but that is the way the entire, that's the way it happens, folks. Normal, everyday people get a word from the Lord. They hear from God. And God's calling people into ministry Every day, God's calling people into the mission field. Every day, God's calling you to go to your workplace. I mean, God is calling. I don't want to downplay this. He's saying it all the time. If we're worshiping, fasting, praying, if we're seeking Him, He's going to give us instruction. And so God is the one who sends and tells us what to do. And then look at verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews. So let me summarize just what's happened so far. You know, you have God that's spreading the gospel along paths, right? And, and his people get together. They, here they are in Antioch. Remember, we talked about that last week. Antioch was, was growing. That's where, that's where Saul, Paul was. And Barnabas was there. And they had a great influx you know, and the, and the preaching was going on. This was, this was after Herod was taken out. And we find that they're worshiping, they're praying, they're fasting, they're seeking God. They want to know God, what he wants to do. Okay? Suddenly, the Lord breaks in. The Holy Spirit comes in, right? And says, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I've called them. It's a, it. You notice the church then lays hands on them, right, and sent them off. And you see, they're called by God, but the church sends them. The church of Antioch sent them out to this little island called Cyprus. Now, I have another map for you. You're going to see this shows, this is the path that Barnabas and Saul took on his first missionary journey. So you can see over here, Antioch and Seleucia, and then Salamis, that's the east side of the island, and then Paphos, we're going to talk about that in a second. Paphos is the western side of the island, and that's where they're going to meet Sergius Pulse. And so, now the question is, why Cyprus? Why Cyprus? And, and so, 
How do you know? Here's the question. How do you know where to go? When, you know, when, when the Holy, you're, you're worshiping you're, and you hear the Lord say, set apart for me. Okay, we're set apart. Now what? Now where do you go? Well, of all the places in the world, where do you go? Do you just pick, blindly pick a spot? Or do you go somewhere where... And so here's, here's why I think they went to Cyprus. That's where Barnabas was from. That's where he was from. I mean, he, he, he wanted to go back and bring the gospel to where he was from. I mean, that's probably clear. I mean, I, 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 I'm sure that's what the motivation was. He's like, I'm from that island, and I think those people need Jesus. And they've never heard of him. And so we're going to bring it there. Imagine that. No one's ever heard the gospel on an entire piece of land. And you get to go there, right? I mean, this is like a guarantee win. I, I think it is, you know. I mean, you're, you're going to win either way, even, even if your expectations aren't met, right? So God calls you to this isolated island that's never heard the gospel. And you know you're going as an agent of the Holy Spirit, guess what? You're going to succeed in giving God glory. You may not see one soul converted, but you're going to succeed in giving God glory because that's what he does with us. When he calls us out, he sends us out, he glorifies himself through us. And so some way and somehow their obedience is even enough to glorify God. But here's what I think. I think when they hit the beach, uh, when they fell on that little piece of land there in Salamis, on that side of, the, of Cyprus, I think they, they sunk their knees into the sand. And they said, God, give me this island. Let your glory be over this island, God. That's what I think they did. And then they got up from there and they went into the synagogue and they began to preach and teach Jesus Christ crucified for their sins. And it says, when they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews. So God didn't disappoint. You know what happens next? They go across the entire island. You can see, or, or you did see, they went from east to west, all the way over to Pat Paphos. And so it would be like preaching across the state of Florida. Like you start at one end and you just go all the way across and preach. All of the, for us, it's the eastern side. And so we'd head over to the eastern side, and we'd get to the other side, and guess what? When they went through, here's verse 6, they had gone through the whole island as far as Pathos. They came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Did you hear that? They, he sought to hear the word of God. The proconsul, he invited them to hear the word of God. I mean, this is the governor of the entire island. This is the guy, this is like the governor of the state of Florida saying, come to the, the, the mansion that I live in and come teach me, let me hear the word of God. I want to know what it is. I mean, this is, a, this is the straight path of the Lord. Look at how this happened from Jerusalem all the way up through Damascus, all the way to Antioch. Then they pray, and they say, God says, send them over here. God had in mind this guy over here, Sergius Paulus, he had in mind to go save that guy. 
That's how sovereign our God is. That's how specific our God is. He had in mind to save that man, and he said, who could I send? I got this little group of people praying over here in Antioch. They are wise. They understand me, my gospel. They can teach it and preach it. They've done a lot of that. They're in Antioch. I'm going to take, set apart two of them, and I'm going to send them over, and they're going to bring the gospel to this guy way over here. That's the way it works, folks. That's the way it works. That's how the gospel spreads. And in his providence, he brings the gospel to this governor on this island to hear. And so there's nothing short of a miracle here, I think. And here's why. Who are, who's Barnabas and Paul? Like, they're nobodies. Like, right? I mean, in the, in the grand scheme of things, they're not politicians. They're not kings. They're not, they're not, they don't have credentials, right? They don't have a large missionary board sending them. They don't have an envoy. They don't have, I mean, John was with them. He was probably just carrying the water. I mean, there, there were, you know, there were, there's not this big group that would draw attention. So who are they? I mean, it's all they have, all they have is the direction of the Holy Spirit. And I say all they have because that's all they need, right? And that's all they need. That's the way God moves. He's still moving that way today. And so last point is that who opposes the paths? You know, look at what happens in verse 8. But Elinus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Well, now you're stepping on toes here, right? Now you're getting in the way of God's plan. And so there's opposition, and we've seen this over and over where the gospel goes out and then it hits a wall, opposition. And then God knocks the opposition down and keep, the gospel keeps going. And, and we've seen that. We saw it. this guy's a little like Herod, but, but not as vicious, right? I mean, he's not, Herod was much more damaging, right? He killed James, right? He's getting ready to kill Peter. And uh, he was really against the messengers, and, and in this case, we see Elimus, I, th- I think he's more opposed just to the message, right? Because the message is what's wrecking his little world that he's got with the proconsul. And so Elimus is that guy. He's that guy. And they're all over the place. He's the guy that's backbiting. He's complaining. He's murmuring. He's lying. He's sowing discord. He's the evildoer that every church gets from time to time. It just happens. They block people from the faith. They turn people away from Christ. They hurt the body of Christ. They're the people that you see the bumper sticker that says, God, save me from your children. You know, it's, it's that kind of person. It's just hurting the, the name of Christ. And people run from the church as a result. Elimus is the guy. He's the guy. And he wanted to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Imagine that. God's, God's got this straight path right to this guy, right? This governor of the whole island. <laughs> and Elimus thinks he's going to stand in the way. You know, the straight paths of the gospel cannot be thwarted by opposition. They just cannot. And so look what happens in verse 9. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. And said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, you, will you not stop making crooked 
the straight paths of the Lord. Mm. This is what's so amazing because will, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths? Because Elimus was trying to make crooked what God was doing, the straight path. See, the straight path is the same. That, that making crooked is the same Greek word as, as up above in verse 8 where it says turn away. So he was trying to turn away or make crooked the straight path. What was the straight path? It was the gospel coming straight into the heart of the Sergius Paulus, right? That's what the straight path was. But Elimus wanted to stop that. He wanted to, he wanted to block that from happening. And he was getting in the way. And so... He realizes that once Sergius Paulus, once the governor gets a hold of the gospel, guess what? His services are no longer needed. He's getting his pink slip. You know, he's going out the back door. And so he is trying everything he can to block this from happening. And so, you know, Paul, you know, Paul, I mean, this is kind of like the first time we see some fire in Paul's eyes, right? This is fire right here. He's, you know, he's, He's putting it on, right? He comes down. And one commentator said that, <laughs> that he was filled with the Holy Ghost upon this occasion, filled with a holy zeal against a professed enemy of Christ, which was one of the graces of the Holy Spirit, a spirit of burning filled with power and denounced the wrath of God against him, which was the, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, a spirit of judgment. See, Paul had a spirit of judgment on him toward this guy he felt a more than ordinary fervor in his mind as the prophet did when he was full of power by the spirit of the lord in micah 3 another prophet when his face was made harder than flint in ezekiel 3 9 and another when his mouth was made like a sharp sword in isaiah 49 you see what paul said <laughs> did not come from any personal resentment but from the strong impressions which the Holy Spirit made upon his spirit. You see, Paul looked intently at him. Do you know why I think Paul looked intently at him? I think he was looking for a sign of repentance. I think he was looking at him to say, look, this is your chance, friend. I'm looking at you to see if there's anything in there that would repent that would turn away from the path that you're on, that would move you out of the way of the gospel, getting to Sergius Paul's. I'm looking for it. Is there something there that I should know and see? But instead, there was nothing. You know, Matthew Henry's commentary says he fixed his eyes on him to see if he could discern in his countenance any marks of remorse for what he had done for. If he could have discerned the least sign of this, it would have prevented the ensuing doom. The face of the Lord was against Elimus. I mean, in this, and it reached critical stage, right? Because it was going to be either Elimus was right and Barnabas and Paul were imposters. And Paul wasn't going to allow that. You son of the devil, he calls him. You enemy of all, uh, all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. You know what? He calls Elimus son of the devil, which <laughs> instead of son of Jesus, right? Bar Jesus means son of Jesus. He calls him son of the devil. And Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, but Elimus was full of deceit and villainy. Paul represented Christ. Elimus represented Satan. And therefore, 
there was a spiritual conflict. And Paul addressed Elimus directly and Satan indirectly. He said, you son of the devil, full of all deceit and villainy. You know, and then look what he says in verse 11. And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. And you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, and for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. There it is, the straight path to faith, right? The straight path to Christ, faith in Jesus. The proconsul went right to believe. He believed, why? Because he saw what happened, right? That, that sign, that wonder, that, that miracle, that utter defeat of Elimus was a sign to validate the words of these two men, Barnabas and, and Paul. That's, that's really what it was. It was to say, you know what? This guy's wrong and these guys are right. And he was smart. It said he was an intelligent man. He figured that out on his own. Of course, with the Holy Spirit too. He figured it out. They were right and he saw, and it says, not only was he amazed at what had happened, but he, he, it says, it's specific, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. At the teaching of the Lord. So it must have been something they taught him, they spoke to him. What does it mean? Why would he be amazed at it? And, and before I say anything, are you amazed at it? Are you amazed at the teaching of the Lord? Does it still bring amazement, delight to your heart? Are you still like, wow, you know, God would do this. I'm, am I'm amazed. And so the proconsul was amazed at the teaching of the Lord, not necessarily just that the binding of the, the false, of the false prophet. I think part of his amazement was this, was the way in which God sent Barnabas and Paul from Antioch. I think they told him that. I think they said, you know, um, sir, um, Mr. Proconsul, um, sir, I, I think they said, do you know, we were praying <laughs> a number of weeks back over in this little place called Antioch with some other people like us believe the same things, and the Holy Spirit fell so heavily upon us that we couldn't escape what he was saying. He was saying to go, and to go not just somewhere, but go specifically to your island where you govern. And when we got here, we dug our knees in the sand, and we said, God, give us this place. Give us believers in this place. May we see conversions happen. Do we say that about SBC campus, I hope. St. Petersburg, Florida, I hope. I think they said, and that's why we came to you. We brought the gospel to you specifically. And and I think I think the teaching was the thing that amazed him too. I think the fact that, that God, the God of the universe, would send his only son, and that that son would live the life he lived, that perfect life, and then, then offer that life on the cross and then die. You see, Barnabas and, and Paul, these guys 
Jesus had met the living, the, the risen Christ, right? So he knew Jesus had risen. And so they were witnesses of this. And they said, you know, we have to tell you something that we know for a fact this man lives after he was crucified for our sins. And therefore, he is God, <laughs> okay? God resurrected him, and therefore, he is God. No one could do what he did. And so I think he was amazed at that teaching. I think that was something, a part of it. And so, uh, and I think, I think uh, just that amazement in Sergius Paulus alone was a sign of, of belief. I mean, you know, when you and I are amazed with the gospel, when we're amazed with the teaching of scripture, when we're amazed when, uh, of, of the ways in which the Holy Spirit has maneuvered and made paths into our lives, how many of you look back over your life and say, wow, the way God got to me, right? And where I am today, I would be dead, okay, in a gutter. I would be really wrecked badly if it were not for God and putting get that straight path of the gospel into my heart and changing me. Think about that. And let me conclude with these thoughts. You know, there's always Elimus's in and around the church and in your life. I just want to say that. There's always. And so the thing we learn from this text is how God deals with them. Did you notice Paul's words in verse 11 where it says, And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. It wasn't Paul's hand. It was the Lord's hand that was on Elimus. It was the Lord's hand. It was God. God didn't just put up with Elimus, right? He didn't just tell Paul, just preach louder, and Elimus will shut up. He didn't say, just preach wiser, smarter, more eloquently, whatever, so that the smart Sergius Paulus will get it. He'll understand it. He'll choose the right thing. If you just say it louder, no. What God did was knock Elimus on the ground and put his foot on his neck. Right? That's what he did, really. He didn't, he said, no, I'm going to blind this man, right? Those who oppose me get put down and get put out. I mean, that's, that's, that's what God did here. That's the picture of what God does when people oppose him. You know, if you want to be used in a negative way by God, just oppose him. And he'll use you as a footstool. Okay, it's just the way it is. That's the way God is. You know, C.S. Lewis said, we all will be used of God in some way. The difference is whether you glorify God like Judas or like John. And you know what? Don't be used by God as a footstool. Okay? You want to be used by God like Barnabas is and by, like Paul is. But everybody has an alignment in their life that's used badly in our lives and so i mean i i've had them i've had i've had they've wanted to take me out I, I kid you not i had a woman who was certifiably crazy i think she i know she was bipolar and she suddenly flipped on me okay and she decided it was her mission in this life to take me down i mean she was crazy she would stalk me and she would get outside my office and at night late when i'm there studying and she would Stand, put her face right out an inch from the glass outside my office. Freakish, okay? And then 
Then she would text, because she got my number somehow. She texted me dozens of texts, and one was about blowing up my family like Pearl Harbor. Yeah, so I had to go and get a restraining order against this Alimus, right? I had, in the end, I asked the judge, please send her to help, counseling, do, do something with her. You know, they don't have, the, they, did, they did not, but you know what? I mean, these are the forces that will rob you of the straight path of the gospel. So, you know, the question then is, what is keeping you from the gospel? What is the alignment in your life that's blocking the gospel from getting in? Because they're, they're there. They're there. And this is my prayer for you as a, as a church, that we would not allow those things. We would, we would, that we would call upon God to deal with them. You know, because God will. He will do so. He will do so. And so if you need prayer today, after the service, I want you to come because there are people that have alimuses in your life and you need them removed and only God can do it rightly. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we see that the straight paths of the gospel cannot be thwarted by opposition. We, we can see, Lord, how you took the gospel out of Jerusalem and you brought it all the way through those towns and places and all the way to an island to a place called Paphos and you saved a man, a governor of the entire island. This was your plan. This was your straight path. This was the way you chose. And Father, you do the same with us. You come straight like an arrow into our hearts and you change us supernaturally because of this gospel. And Lord, we, we invite that. We invite that today. I pray for those who are here that are struggling, wondering, hoping to know you better, that the gospel would penetrate, that the truth of what you've accomplished, that you love them beyond belief, and that you have done everything necessary to receive them into relationship, into heaven. And Lord, may we, may we live in the light of your glory, in the light of your grace, in the light of what you have done to remove the alimuses from us so that we would see the gospel as Sergius Paul did. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your presence and the greatness of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.